0: Following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. My my battery's going to die. Just so you guys know, I didn't look at it before. Yeah, all the power from the hair is gone. Stanson, that's it that's it. The, the 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 wind resistance has uh, gone way down too. Well, um I told you I wasn't joking about the batteries going to die. There's a box of batteries there. That was you. The light's still yellow, so All right. Anyway, well we're back in 1 Peter chapter 1. This morning we're going to look at verses 17 through 21, and that's page 1014 in the pew Bibles. Um, and our text that we're going to look at this morning um, contains uh, what the word nerds call a conditional statement. A conditional statement. Uh, that there's a, a conditional statement is a statement that uses if and then. If You want to play outside, then you must finish your supper. Not really an issue in our house. It's if you want to play on the PlayStation, then you must finish your whatever. But that's how conditional statements work. Um, And this morning's conditional statement uh, is not an argument for eating your vegetables, however. Uh, It is an argument for holy living, which I suppose is a spiritual parallel to eating your vegetables. Uh, so let's look at our text. First Peter chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 17. "And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful again uh, to gather around your word here in this building or uh, watching online. Father, we ask that your spirit would speak through your word. These are your words recorded, protected, preserved for us. Uh, So, Lord, may we hear your voice uh, and understand. May your spirit give us help to make changes, to chisel away the rough edges so that we are made more and more like your son, Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, you may remember, if you were here last week, or um, at least watched the video, uh, remember the context of what Peter is, uh, was, was writing here. Um, he, he addressed the great worth of the gospel, the great treasure um, that we have, and also the wonderful hope that we have as a result. Because we have faith in Christ, we have a confident expectation that's what hope is, a confident expectation that when he returns, we're, we're going to come into, the, into possession of our glorious inheritance in his eternal kingdom. That's the hope that we have, that when, when God's eternal clock strikes 12 and he says to his son, now is the time, go, that at that moment, our salvation is perfected. There's, we have n- there's nothing left for us to be saved from. And we get to take possession of our inter- eternal inheritance Hallelujah. and His glorious riches and His kingdom. But not only that, but with the hope of that future grace in view, with sober minds and the loins of our mind girded up for action, right, <laughs> ready for action... We must act as obedient children of our heavenly father. And what's the word we use for acting like obedient children of the heavenly father? Holiness. Holiness. Our passage last week ended with the words, "Be holy for I am holy." That's our father talking to us. "Be holy." As I am holy. So then we get to verse 17, and uh, here comes our conditional statement. Our Father says, Be holy, for I am holy. And Peter says, And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, then conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, I want, to, I want to make something clear right off the bat, because we're going to be addressing our behavior here this morning. Always a popular topic. Um, but I, I, I want to be clear that I'm not talking about acting in a way or living in such a way that earns salvation that earns God's favor. That's not what we are talking about. Okay? We're not talking about living in such a way that earns favor with God. J.P. Lang uh, wrote, and I quote him often because I use his commentary all the time. The scriptures uniformly teach that forgiving grace is not conditioned by any work. i want to read that again just in case. The Scriptures uniformly teach that forgiving grace is not conditioned by any work. It is absolutely free and unmerited and presupposes nothing beyond a penitent mind, a repentant mind, and an appropriating of the righteousness of Christ. But it insists upon a life corresponding with the will of God and even supplies the strength to lead it faith must work by love it is the living root of all good works while unbelief is the father of every sin god looks upon the life of a man as one connected work we cannot work hard enough to earn god's favor we cannot live holy enough to earn a place in his kingdom That's not how salvation works. It is by grace alone. God's gift to us through faith in Christ alone. Not, yes, I believe in Jesus and then I did this and this and this so that I'm saved. It is faith in Christ alone by God's grace, His gift, not conditioned by any work. So again, to be clear, Holy living is not an effort to earn forgiveness. Nor is it an effort to earn salvation. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about life as a result of our salvation. How we live in light of our forgiveness and our adoption by God. We are now his children through faith first. And now we get to work in holy living. Peter calls this holy living, conducting yourselves in fear during the time of your exile. Now that sounds like fun, doesn't it? Conduct yourself in fear. Well, just as Peter commanded those first century believers living in exile, the command rings true for us also to conduct ourselves in fear. If you call on him as father, then conduct yourselves in fear. That's our conditional statement. If you call on him as father, then conduct yourselves with fear in your time of your exile. So I think we ought to talk about that word. Otherwise, we're not going in the right direction. We need to talk about the word fear. What does Peter mean by fear? Does it mean like shaking in terror, waiting for God to press the smite button? Finally, you've gone too far. Right? That is not, not at all what Peter is talking about. That is not at all what the Scriptures teach at all about how we are to live in this context, the word does not mean terror. It means reverence. It means awe. Profound respect. That's really important. Because our dumb language just doesn't do the original Greek justice. Okay? Fear means you're scared. Right? So Peter says, if you call, him on father, call on him as father, then you should be scared all the time. No, no, no. Not horror, not terror, but awe and profound respect. Jesus said in Luke 12, 4 and 5, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him, who after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. He's using the same word. Is he saying to be terrified? No. But to look on with reverence and awe and profound respect. J.P. Lang also wrote, this is, I think, my favorite quote he wrote in all of his Five million page long commentary on the scriptures. He says, fear not, but fear. And therefore, fear that you may not fear. Amen? Can I get a hallelujah? Fear not. Fear not. You have nothing to be afraid of, but fear. Have awe and respect. Have awe and respect of God that you may have nothing to fear that's really important if we fear God meaning if we're living in reverence and awe of our father a profound respect of him then we have nothing to fear from man or from the devil nothing what can man do to us like the song said whom then shall i fear right if I have profound awe and respect for my heavenly father, now that's assuming that I am saved, right? Because you can't call on him as heavenly father unless you have faith in his son. Let's be clear about that. So here are the arguments for holy living within these few short verses. True faith is not a hollow dream nor hollow talk but holy living in the fear of God. Holy living in loving reverence of our Heavenly Father. So the first argument for holy living, and you may be surprised to hear that there are not three of these, It's not a three-point sermon. Yeah, turns out it's two three-point sermons. Sorry, um, we'll talk about that. So, the first argument is found in verse 16. If you call on him as father. Now, if is a difficult word. The if at the beginning of this sentence doesn't denote any kind of doubt uh, that Peter's audience actually believed in God, that they had faith in Christ, that, he, uh, that they really did call on him as father. There was no doubt about that. Rather, it was more of a reminder that if you call him as Father, you ought to act like his children. If you call him Father, and if you're not willing to walk before him in holy reverence as obedient children, you're in trouble. Holiness and reverence, as Peter put it. Fear. They're bound to our relationship with God. Holy reverence and awe. I think that this is really important because far too often in the Christian culture, especially in America, that like Jesus is our buddy, right? We're like, hey, God, hey, Dad. That doesn't really denote reverence and awe, at least in my mind. That's tough. We still need to be honest with our Father. We still need to pour out our hearts to him. But we cannot forget who he is. We can't forget. Holiness and reverence are bound to our relationship to God. Ephesians 5.1 says, Be imitators of God as beloved children. Imitators of God as beloved children. How do we imitate God? Holy living living according to his word, living according to the pattern that he has laid down for us in scripture. Jesus said in Matthew 5:43 through 45, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Why should we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us? Not just because Jesus says so, but that's be- it's because that's how our Father acts, and we should be imitators of him. That's holy living. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. That's how God acts, and so should we. Luke's version sounds like this in Luke 6:35 and 36. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. I'm sure Luke wasn't talking about tools when he said lend, but other stuff. Argument number one for holy living. We We call on him as father. We call God our father. We should act like we are his children. That's argument number one. Argument number two in verse 17. He judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Wait a minute. No, what happened to judge not, lest you be judged? Right? Mm. Well, God our Father is the righteous judge. And he doesn't measure on the same scales as we do. Lang wrote, We find very great odds betwixt stately palaces and poor cottages, betwixt a prince's robes and a beggar's cloak. But to God, they are all one. All these petty grievances vanish in comparison to his own greatness. Men are great and small compared to one another, but they all amount to just nothing in respect to him. We find high mountains and low valleys on this earth, but compared with the vast compass of all the heavens, it is all but as one point and has no sensible greatness at all. Our scales, our measurements they're all in our own heads. You know, I'm tall, you're short. Ha ha ha. Alright, from God's perspective? <laughs> big deal. Right? There's no there's no outward mask that's going to fool God. Alright? Dress the part, look the part, talk the part. But if that part is not in here, it matters nothing to God. He is the righteous judge and will judge according to our deeds. Not our talk. There's no class. There's no race. There's no sex. It's not of any account at all. The only condition, only the condition of the heart, based on the evidence, our deeds. So, Walk in righteousness and obedience. Live a holy life like our Father. He's the one, right? I, I got to tell you, I've been, I've been in full-time ministry anyway for 16, 15, 16 years. A lot of that time spent with students and lots of adults, and they all act, the same. Um, and there's been time after time that people are content to fool me. If they can pull one over on me, and 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 I think they're holy, if I, if I think they're in good shape, then they're good. And it happens time and time and time again. And I'm left in the same spot. What did you gain by fooling me? I'm really not that bright. It's not hard. It happens all the time. So, what do you gain? I am not the righteous judge. My my standards are on vacation. But God's are not. And there's no one who is going to fool him. None of us. We can't so stop trying. That's the point. Don't try to fool God. He sees the condition of our hearts, and he sees the evidence of the condition of our hearts in our deeds. And if your deeds look righteous, but they're motivated to trick other people into thinking you're holy, God sees that, and it's worthless. You gain nothing. There's a long list of references on this argument. Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 11 The Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Race doesn't get you anywhere in God's eyes. Only faith in Christ. Matthew sixteen, twenty seven, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. Second Corinthians five ten For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Need I go on? Because I could all day. (laughs) So argument one, we call on him as father so we should act like his children. Argument number two, he... Judges impartially according to each one's deeds, so act accordingly. And argument number three, I hate three-point sermons. We are exiles, so don't start acting like locals. I hate that because I love being a local. (laughs) Jesus said in John 15, 18 and 19, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. See, Peter's writing to actual literal exiles, okay, Jewish Christians living apart from Jerusalem. And if they were out of the nation of Israel, if they were living somewhere else, they were consider, considered exiles. Now, we are just like them in that we are spiritual citizens of a spiritual Jerusalem living in a foreign land. This world is not our home. Our home is coming. And it's coming with Christ at his return. Okay? Okay. We have been chosen and set apart for the world, from the world. And I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you've noticed this at all. But the world hates the church. Okay? Hates the church. Um, In New Hampshire, clergy are considered Group 1A for vaccination. Did you know that? So I was eligible to get my vaccination shot way before the two kids with a sore arm just got theirs this morning. You know what the response to that was? Well, so much for the separation of church and state. The world hates the church. So don't be surprised when stuff like that happens. And if the world hates the church, does it make any sense at all that we act like them? It doesn't. We are called to live in holiness, not like everybody else. Peter says that the ways that they inherited from their forefathers were futile. Those, those ways have their roots in appearances, devoid of all true foundation. They are selfish, empty, hollow, and very, very familiar. Those are the ways of the land of our sojourn, of this flesh, of this fallen world. And we're exiles in that world. We can't act like this is home. If we just act like the locals, what's the difference? We call on him as father. We know that he is the righteous judge and will measure our deeds. And we're not from here. Not anymore, so we shouldn't act like we are. Fitting in with the world, that's worse than a fool's errand. So here are our first three arguments for holy living based on our text so far. Argument number one we call on him as father, so we should act like his children. Argument number two he judges impartially based on a person's deeds. And so our deeds should be worthy of him, so we have no fear of judgment. Argument number three, we are exiles in this world because Jesus has called us out of it. So we should not conform to the wicked customs of the land of our sojourn. Again, this is all assuming faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. That's already taking place in order for this argument to apply to you. So that's really important. (laughs) If you hear all of these things without faith in Christ, you become a legalist, stuck according to the rules, and not truly saved. You must have faith in Jesus Christ first. His sacrifice, his death on the cross was for you, to pay the penalty for your sin. That's what you earned. But Jesus died in your place to pay that penalty And he rose from the dead so that your record would be wiped clean and you would be able to stand before God as forgiven, as sinless, as his child. And so you need to be sure you have called on him in faith, that you have trusted in his sacrifice for you. His death on the cross was for you and accepted his offer of free forgiveness and salvation. And if that's you, then we can deal with these arguments. If that's not you, we need to deal with that first. Okay? And you can call on Him at any time. Cry out in faith. Ask for His forgiveness and receive Him as Savior and Lord. So we've got these three arguments here, and I really didn't want this to be a three point sermon, but I've only made three points. And there are six. So, now I'm forced into two three-point sermons. So, that is punishment for me for making fun of three-point sermons. So, this is where we're going to leave it for this week. And next week, we're going to deal with three more arguments for holy living based on this text. Next time, we're going to focus on the great worth and high price that was paid for our ransom so that we could be set free from sin and its penalty. That's worth thinking about. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, how could we be any more grateful for the reason we have for holy living? Through faith in Jesus Christ, you've adopted us as your children. And you're examining our hearts and you're examining our deeds Lord, we want to be like you. I pray that's true of everyone. I guess I'm making an assumption there, but I pray that that would be true, that you would motivate us to holy living, that we would think about these things, that you are our Father, and we should act as your children, that you are the righteous judge and will examine our deeds, and we'll have to answer for how we've lived, and that this world is not our home, but we're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Lord, may that motivate us to live more like you. May that motivate us to spend more time in your word, to spend more time in prayer, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to act like you acted while you are here on this earth. May we follow in the footsteps of Christ, living lives of love and sacrifice, but not just to make you happy, but because we're your children. Father, may your blessing be on your word this morning. May your spirit continue to speak to our hearts. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, zero three eight nine zero